1: Welcome to Mom and Dad are Fighting, Slate's Parenting Podcast, for Thursday, August 31st, the Accountable Edition. I'm Jamila Lemieux, a writer, contributor to Slate's Care and Parenting column, and mom's to Naima, who's 10, and we live in Los Angeles. I'm Elizabeth Newcamp. I write the homeschool and family travel blog, Dutch Dutch Goose. I'm the mom of three
0: littles, Henry, who's 11, Oliver, who's 9, and Teddy, who's 6, and we live in Tokyo, Japan.
2: I'm Zach Rosen. I make another podcast. It's called The Best Advice Show. And I am dad to Noah, who just turned six, and Ami, who is nearly three. We're in Detroit.
1: Today on the show, we're going to start, as always, by sharing our parenting ups and downs from the week. Then we're going to be joined by Dashka Slater. Dashka is an award-winning journalist and author. Her most recent book is called Accountable, the true story of a racist social media account and the teenagers whose lives It changed story of harm done by and to young people. And if you don't have kids at that age yet, it'll still be a fascinating conversation. Then, if you're a member of the Slate Plus Club, we've gotten some wonderful listener suggestions from you all about games and even how to handle the great bathroom conundrum of 2023. Here's what you'll hear if you have Slate Plus.
0: All right, so I do have a little bit of an update. (laughs) It's not incredibly satisfying, but When I went to pick the kids up for school, Jeff and I um, both happened to be traveling down there. We bumped into the teacher, and Jeff was like, now is the time. Uh, And she basically said, you know, thanks for sharing with me. I will talk to Oliver tomorrow. And so we we walked out. We were like, okay, did we solve anything? But at least I felt like I had laid down groundwork if I need to send a letter or do something else. Oliver then said, basically, well, I went to the bathroom and I didn't have to put my name on the board. I'm like, did she ever talk to you? Oliver said, well, she told me that I should use the bathroom when I need to use the bathroom um, because she doesn't want anything bad to happen to my body. So I'm like, "Okay, maybe she heard that. But Oliver said she hasn't officially redacted the rule. And as of this week, no one yet has had to serve time for using the bathroom.
1: As a Slate Plus member, you'll get a whole bonus segment every week and all your favorite Slate podcasts ad-free. It's truly the best way to listen and the best way to support the show. You can sign up for Slate Plus now at slate.com slash momanddadplus. All right, we're going to jump into triumphs and fails as soon as we get back from the short break.
0: This episode is brought to you by Shopify
1: All right, Zach, what do you want to share from this week?
2: Well, as I mentioned at the top, Noah just turned six. She also just started kindergarten yesterday. Yay. Um oh my gosh. big week over here. And so what we did last week was we traveled out west. My wife's sister is getting married, and so my wife is the youngest of four. So all of her siblings and their partners and um one of her sister's kids and and us, we we traveled out west for a, like a sibling bachelor bachelorette party for for Shira's sister, and what we decided to do as a way to kind of uh, just uh, squeeze all the possible juice we could out of the summer, we decided to fly back home uh, from California on uh, the red eye on Sunday night, which which meant that we would return back to Detroit. We'd get back in at six a.m. And then take our daughter to her first day of kindergarten. Um, and not just saying it out loud. I'm like, what were we thinking? But we were like, you know, she or siblings are going to stay. They encourage us to stay. Um, we'd have FOMO if we, would, if we left early. And so we were just like, screw it. Let's do this. Um, and just like hope for the best. And so we had a great trip. The kids slept. On the flight, the flight's only three and a half hours. Um, and they slept for maybe two and a half hours. But then, you know, it's 6 a.m. and we're home. So, two and a half hours. Do you think two and a half hours is enough sleep for a for a six-year-old and a three-year-old? I haven't consulted any sleep specialists. Probably not, right?
1: Probably not.
2: Um, probably not. But they slept. And then they slept in the car on the way home from the airport. So, they probably got like another hour and then we had to just throw them in school. Um, <laughs> I don't know what kind of listener mail we'll get from this, but um, bring it on. So they were exhausted. Fortunately, Noah just had a half day for her first day. And Ami goes to daycare where they allow the kids to take um, big old naps. <laughs> and so like, Noah was very tired, but like, got it together enough to walk into school carrying her own backpack and... You know, I was crying, of course, because, well, I was tired, but it was her first day of kindergarten. And so she made it in. Then I went and picked her up at noon, and she was fine. And she took a a really long nap in the afternoon. Ami took a big nap. They went to sleep at a reasonable time. They got a good night's sleep, and this morning they seemed okay. So I feel like we dodged a bullet, and we we did it. Somehow we did it. And I'll tell you, it was worth it.
0: This is amazing.
1: (laughs) Absolutely incredible.
0: It's amazing, and it's... Like stupidity, it is amazing in mm-hmm. <laughs> it. Yep. Like yep. that it worked.
3: <laughs>
0: and <laughs> I, I just wanna that. say yeah. that when she calls you from college <laughs> know that you set her up well.
2: Oh, Yeah. Um I mean we chose fun. We chose yeah. life. No,
0: it's great. It's great. It's it's a very um I would have done the same thing.
2: <laughs> yeah, totally. I had my I had my new camp hope hat on. So yeah. So far, so good.
0: I'm truly so happy that it worked. I, I mean, I think that, like, the, the breakdown
1: is coming, right? Probably. As long as you know that the breakdown is inevitable this week. Yeah. You
2: always got to pay the Breakdown fight. is always inevitable, though. <laughs> That's what I figure. If, even if we didn't take a red eye, the breakdown was inevitable. It's just always around the corner.
1: All right. What about you, Elizabeth? How's Tokyo? Oh, gosh. So, <laughs> <laughs> it's
0: good. It's good. Um, the good news is I'm getting lots of time to myself, which, as we all know, is something that I didn't really do. And I'm being forced to do that because we have no things still in our house. So, like, there's there's no real, like, jobs to do here. No, like, setting up. We are just um, living in this empty space. And I'm getting – the kids are, like, we're getting them to school, all of that. But I am really struggling to – perform all of the japanese niceties and that makes me not want to go out on my own so here's like an example yeah um i know right now if you ask me that uh like arigato or some the pronunciation is terrible is is thank you i can remember like sumimasen is kind of the excuse me so in this moment i can practice all that i have a little cheat sheet Yesterday, I go for a walk. And just as I turn the corner, there is like a construction site. And And you have to understand that everything here is like manned. There's like a person who stands with an orange stick. And their job is to like help me navigate on the sidewalk, this construction site, even though all you have to do is walk around it. So this man is helping me and bowing. And I go totally blank. Like all I can do is just be like, thank you. I, I'm sorry. Like, I'm doing the bowing thing, but I can't remember anything else. I then get to a cafe where I have to order in English and, like, by pointing. So, I feel so just, just like, I'm sad that I can't speak Japanese. I feel bad that this poor person is trying to, like, speak to me in English and try to help me. I, like, don't want to make any corrections because I'm just sort of like, well, whatever I get is good enough. And, the money thing is confusing. They don't want to touch money or cards, which makes total sense. And so you put everything in this tray. So there's like there's just a lot going on. Again, I cannot remember. I cannot remember how to say thank you. I cannot remember any of these things that I am practicing. And so I just feel like I leave every interaction as I'm going out. And the same thing is happening when I'm taking the kids to school, right? It's just that they remember and I am just left with this like totally blank mind. And that makes me feel uncomfortable. And therefore, I don't want to like go out on my own, which I need to do. So I I, I know mean, that I know feeling.
2: I'm, that's I'm, a, I've a That's a tough feeling. Yeah, you've only been there a couple of weeks. But that is a sad, lonely, um, emotional place to be in. I totally get that.
0: It's like I just feel, I feel <laughs> like so rude. And I feel like in, you know, the States, like a lot of our our interactions with people are these start off with pleasantries, right? So, oh, thank you so much. Or thanks for Mm -hmm. helping me. And I enjoy being able to thank people or comment, (laughs) you know, to people have those little conversations. And I just can't, like, not only that, but I'm being rude. Like, I am rude. Like, (laughs) I'm, you know, I already know, like, I'm not quite bowing right. I always forget if my left hand or right hand is supposed to be. So I just feel like I'm... (laughs) I'm screwing it up from top to bottom. And anytime I'm out with someone, they're like, listen, they know that you don't belong here. It's totally fine. Like, right. you, you, it's very clear. You're not from here. Um, yeah, They don't care. But I guess I just feel like part of being here is like learning and trying those things. And and so I have to keep going and doing it. <laughs> but I leave every, every, like, as I'm walking down the street, and I walk away from the construction guy. I'm like, well, botch that.
2: I mean, I've been there, Elizabeth. When I was living in in Tel Aviv, when I lived in Spain as a student, it's it's really hard at first. It's really hard, but you're 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 walking uphill, but you're gonna get you're gonna get there. I know you are. It's <sighs> it's still you. very early.
1: It is. Thank you. But I babe. feel you. Can I always start looking for an English-speaking therapist. Oh. <laughs> yeah. For sure. <sighs> or
0: maybe I need a Japanese therapist. Just to like <laughs> maybe that would that just to would humiliate make that you more
1: quicker. <laughs> All right. Um, so my weekend, uh, Naima got invited to go to this camp. One of the city council members was organizing it, and they went to this place called Camp Hollywood Land, which is in Hollywood. and it's like a real camping site and like it's the sleepaway camp for the weekend mm. and they usually do this like this place wow. usually does like week-long camps or like they do overnight camp. what they do is they do camp during the week and like parents like over the summer like kids stay monday to friday and they come home on the weekend and they go back on monday and so it's kind of a california institution like when i mention is to the people they're like oh camp hollywood land you know i went there when i was a kid um And so Naima gets invited, and I'm like, uh, you know, I don't know about this. I knew a few of her friends were going, but Naima's got limited sleepover experience, and this place doesn't allow devices. They say on the intake form, like, if your child needs to call you, then they may not be ready for camp, you know? So I'm just like, how is this going to work? Oh, my goodness. Should I send her? And I was like, no, like, you can't go. This is too much for me. You know, like, we're just not doing this. And two days, or Thursday, they leave on Friday, I pick her up, and she's like, so I really can't go to camp? And she's like, you know, so and so and so and so are going, and I really want to go. And I'm like, you're gonna have to sleep on a sleeping bag. You're not gonna be able to call me. Are you ready for this? You know, and she's like, I am i'm like okay so we go to the mall we buy some stuff and we go on friday and then there was a whole confusion like i was told drop off was at two it wasn't until three thirty. we come home somebody hits my car
2: oh my god how no. bad
1: oh uh, my door it's in the shop like it's bad um I was exiting the car like if it had been a couple seconds later, I would have got hit myself. You know, oh my I was gosh. parked and I opened the door and somebody hit the door. So, oh, yeah. so oh, yeah. the door Whoa, doesn't work. Um, so I like now I have to like call a tow truck, get a rental, all this stuff. But we still managed to get back to the camping place on time or to the site where they were doing drop off. She gets to go and she has an amazing time and they camp and they do tie-dye and do outdoor activities and she has an amazing weekend and I accidentally forgot most of her hair stuff so by the time I pick her up on Sunday she looks completely crazy Because we switched from a book bag to a suitcase at the last minute. I left the hair stuff in the book bag by mistake. I felt so bad because I realized I'd done it like as soon as I got home. I was like, oh my God, there's nothing I can do. And Naeem was very particular about her hair. But she had a blast. So I'm really glad I let her go. I got past my own fears about her being away from me and being with strangers. And she got to have a really good experience.
2: Do you think she's going to become like a sleepover camp girl?
1: I think she could be, you know, I think having friends there was important. Like, I don't know how well she would have done if she had just gone to this and didn't know the kids. And like she got put in the, we managed to get all her friends in the same cabin. That's amazing. So that's, yeah, that's,
2: that's transformative. Nice that's that's that. That. a big
1: deal. Yeah.
0: What are you going to do when she wants to go camping? <laughs>
1: <laughs> that is a very good question excellent question this place actually has like a mommy and me weekend in march are you thinking about it <laughs>
2: that might be a good first foray like when it's organized yeah. you know when you don't have to like yeah. take care of all the logistics could be fun
1: yes i would give it and some there, th- it's cabins right like not yeah, cabins yeah, yeah but yeah. sleeping can... bags for cabins yeah you know. well i'd give it some thought it was
0: kind of a win-win for you, right? Because if she hated it, you could be like, I warned you.
1: Yes. <laughs> but instead, now you're the mom who let her go. Exactly. Exactly. All right. Well, on that note, we're going to take another quick break. We'll see you back here for our interview with author Dash Slater.
3: This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance.
1: We're back. In 2017, a private Instagram account became the center of Albany High School in California. It's not out of the ordinary for kids to have a secondary account followed by a group of friends, maybe close friends, maybe a couple of others, where teens post things that they wouldn't on their main accounts. But this account had extraordinary racist posts about black classmates and friends. When discovered, it led to even more hurt, protests, botched mediation, expulsions, and a community-wide conversation about what it means to be complicit. Journalist Dashka Slater spent four years covering the story for her new book, Accountable, the true story of a racist social media account and the teenager whose life It changed. Dashka, welcome to the show.
4: Hi, and thanks for having me.
1: Thank you for joining us. Let's go back to 2017. How does all of this start?
4: A couple kids are hanging out at one of their houses on a weekend. And in the course of this day, they've gone to see the movie Get Out together. And uh, this is a black girl, an Asian girl and their white and Mexican friend. And in the course of this day that they spend together, he ends up showing them this racist Instagram account that another friend of theirs has made and of which he is a follower. And the girls agree that they're not gonna tell anybody about it, and the boy actually thinks that they see it the way he sees it, which is just kind of a dumb, funny thing that this friend of theirs is doing. But on this account are pictures of other girls in their friend group, including the black girl who is there, shown with a noose around her neck. And so she does not want to keep this quiet. And so when school starts on Monday, she begins to tell other black girls that she's seen this account, it's super racist, and the news spreads like wildfire, first among the black girls and their friends, and then pretty soon, administrators discover that the kids are in the hallways super upset and begin to bring them into the office to find out what's going on.
2: And so begins, like, this years-long investigation that you do, which is just, it's it's staggering to me, Dashka, the the amount of people you talk to and just the, the kind of... Uh, nuance that that you get from having spent so much time with students and administration and parents so many of whom were affected in very particular but different ways from this story it starts where where you just told us um with this racist social media account and then from there can you tell us a little bit more about the ways in which it it blew up in, in very surprising ways
3: First, there was
4: the process of just investigating what happened. And because there was a sense that maybe among the girls that maybe this would be swept under the rug, or there wouldn't be any consequences or repercussions, they set about in uh, to find evidence and were able to actually get screenshots of the account, even though it was a private account. And then the school district began to uh, investigate and then to suspend and move towards expulsion of the creator of the account and another kid who was very uh, involved. And at the same time, the, all of this is unfolding among the kids, uh, finger pointing who's responsible. The, uh, there's uh, 14 followers, including the creator of the account, so a total of 14 kids, And everyone, except for the creator of the account, is quick to say, well, it wasn't really me. I was just a follower. I wasn't the one who made the posts. And the girls who were targeted, meanwhile, are deeply hurt and betrayed really upset their world is kind of shattered because they're in this liberal community they knew that obviously that there's racism in America but they kind of thought they were sheltered from it and uh, that turns out to have been very clearly not the case parents are in an uproar you know Trump had just been elected 3 months before so the whole community is already Feeling on edge about what is this country? It's not what we thought. And now it feels like the call is coming from inside the house. So there's community meetings and uh, people, you know, hours and hours of public testimony about this account and these kids, but also about other things that happened in the past, other instances of racism, sexism, bullying that weren't addressed, and people's own uh, hurt and grief. Um, about the things they've experienced in their lives, and people are coming from out of town to testify. And then the kids who are suspended have to come back to school. The school thinks, well, okay, we need to do something before that happens, so let's have a mediations. And then all the kids involved can have a nice little talk and hug it out, and then they'll go back to class. That was not what happened. The entire thing was an unmitigated disaster where uh, emotions were very, very high in the room. Uh, the girls who had been targeting were asking very pointed questions about, do you really feel bad about this?" Uh, or do you just feel bad that you were caught?" The boys, you know, some of whom who had come like with apology letters and prepared to make apologies, and then others who were like, "I'm just going to get through this thing and get back to class." they are not responding in the way that the girls want. And the temperature in the room just gets higher and higher. And meanwhile, there's a demonstration happening just yards away that was called by students who did not want these boys to return to school at all, and have gathered to make a statement against racism in general, but also to make a statement uh, that these kids uh, don't belong in their school. And as things get more and more heated in the room, there is finally a moment where the girls are like, you need to go out there and see what you've caused. And the mediators, for reasons that are unclear to me, um, really unclear to anyone, agree that this should happen. And so the boys end up being kind of marched in front of the entire school until a mother of one of the boys who's there intercedes things get more and more wild during the day as kids never go back to class and more and more students are kind of outside and some of them are just sitting quietly and some of them are wandering the halls and kids from other schools are starting to join because they're hearing about it on social media. The students who are protesting decide that they want the kids who follow the account to do this walk of shame and they kind of line up outside the school and create this path, this gamut for them to walk. And the parents are like, no way, absolutely not. Uh, That doesn't look safe. And the police are called (laughs) by the school to try and figure out a way to get the kids out of the building. And in the end, it becomes this kind of melee where two kids are punched, one gets his nose broken, a van with parents and a grandmother in it, as well as kids, is surrounded and rocked and you know, kicked and things thrown and kids beating on the windows and so on. That concludes probably the worst day of mediation.
1: You have a quote from one of the girls. When you are targeted for who you are, it doesn't just hurt your feelings. It hurts every cell in your body. Based on these posts, you would have assumed that these guys hated the girls that they were targeting, but they had been friends, right?
4: They had been friends and there had been a certain amount of, of racist slash racial joking among them. This was a pretty diverse group of friends. The creator of the account and several of the followers of the account were Asian American. And so, you know, they lived in this zone where they were kind of like, well, we're all people of color and it's okay to joke like this. And anyway, it's clear that we don't really mean it. And so, The girls were trying to figure out, like, you know, I guess we're friends, so they can't mean it, so I guess I'm just going to let it go by, because I don't want to be that person who makes a big deal, and then I'll be the angry black girl. So they let a lot of stuff go by, too, you know, out of trust as well, because they thought this was their friends. One of the things that happened after the account was revealed was not only was the sense of betrayal so deep and immense, but also there was this kind of retrospective look at all kinds of things that they had let go by in the past. And now those things looked completely different.
0: The teen um that creates this account, who you call Charles, do you get a sense over the course of your reporting like what the actual motivation is?
4: Yeah, so that was one of the things that was the most interesting to me and also the most alarming is that these boys had a very active online life. They were video game players, they were super into League of Legends, and they were also going online and looking for funny memes and trying to create funny memes like the things they saw. And so they were steeped in this edgy, um, you know, air quotes around it, edgy humor that was very popular in 2017 and is morphed a little bit now, is not quite... Landing in the same way or being per- perpetuated in the same way, but still very much exists and has a lot of popularity among uh, boys, particularly white and Asian boys. And so part of the language of this edgy humor is, uh, well, I'm being racist, but it's for shock value. It's because we all know it's so terrible. And the funny thing is that it's, you're not supposed to say that. So it's transgressive. Um, And so they kind of felt like, well, everybody will know, I don't really mean this, Um, which is, I will say, exactly why the originators of much of that humor, who are white nationalist groups of different kinds, uh, have chosen that technique, because it offers plausible deniability um, and is really not clear to young people who don't have the critical skills to be analyzing where the stuff that they see online is coming from.
2: I had no idea about this whole edgelord world. It was a real education for me. And I wonder, because none of us have teens yet, Dashka, um, but we will. And I'm curious what kinds of conversations you've had um, with parents or educators about how how they navigate um, these conversations with their kids about, like, you know, what it it, get, it gets to some really deep stuff, like, what is humor? And, you know, what is morality online? Like, what, what did you learn about that through through all your work here?
4: It brought up a lot of questions for me, because I have memories of my own son, when he was a teenager, um, him showing me a meme. And me having like an instant "what the hell" kind of reaction mm. of um, seeing this meme that was very very popular that year and was sort of everywhere, and there were songs about it and so on. Um, you may remember "I'm Legally Blind," which was a black woman who had been arrested, and her defense was in this you know video that was probably recorded by the news or something. "I'm Legally mm-hmm. Blind," and it became you know this huge meme that was everywhere. And I remember my son showing it to me and I just felt like pure rage because it seemed really obvious uh, that this was uh, objectifying, demeaning, um, making fun of a human being who was in distress um, and who happened to also be uh, from two marginalized groups. If she was legally blind, make it three. And so it felt like this is super wrong, but I had no context for it. Um, All I, you know, had was just like this emotion of like, "Ah, oh, I'm so angry at you for, you know, showing me this for engaging with this in any way. And I remember we had two conversations because my first conversation was me just kind of yelling. And then (laughs) I had to, when I calmed down, try and revisit with him and try to explain why I was having such a big reaction to something that to him was completely ordinary, because everybody was engaging. This wasn't a secret meme. This was like the most popular meme of the year. And um, I recently asked him if he remembered that conversation. And he was like, Oh, yes, I do. (laughs) But I said, What do you remember? And he said, I mostly remember being confused because it was such a popular meme. um, And you were so mad about it. And I think that this is where it gets tricky for parents is that our emotions around things that we know are bad and harmful can be very large. And that does not open up the doors to conversations. Um, And so trying to um, figure out how to approach with more curiosity about what are you seeing? You know, how often have you heard the N-word, say, or the F-slur. How often are you hearing that kind of language? Um, Where do you hear it? How does it make you feel? What do you do um, when you you hear that kind of thing? And most of the time, kids will say, well, I just ignore it because it's just people being dumb, not realizing how much you can get desensitized to that kind of stuff uh, the more you hear it. And kids often don't have tools for pulling themselves out of a conversation that feels uncomfortable.
0: Do you have any takeaways about the the mediation part of this as we look to, you know, correct wrongs that have happened and, and get communities back together?
4: Yeah, I I've thought about this a lot. And I, so I, I have many thoughts, and I'll try and just express a few of them. One is that consequences or punishment are not accountability. And that, you know, often because the feelings uh, that come up are so immense, and because we know that there has been uh, over a long, long period of time, uh, people who harm, uh, particularly white people, particularly white boys, have gotten a free pass for a long time. And so there's a feeling of like, Uh, Not this time, buddy, Uh, I am going to make you pay the way every single person who came before you should have paid. And I think what is lost in that is that punishment can feel great, but it doesn't necessarily get you what you want, which is kids who are not going to harm in the future. And so hopefully the work is being done before there's a crisis. You know, the conversations are happening, the media lit- literacy is happening, uh, kids are being taught to think about the people around them and not just about rules, because I think this is another place where the, the conversation goes poorly, in that we tell kids, like, don't say that, or if you post that, you won't be able to get into college, uh, and which are all things that focus on them and not on the people that they would be affecting by using certain language or posting certain things on the internet. Then there's an explosion, everybody's really upset, and what tends to happen is that because everybody's so focused on punishing the perpetrator, the, the victims get lost. And that was certainly something that happened. In Albany was that even though people really felt like they wanted to support the girls and wanted and felt that that's what they were doing by demanding the harshest possible punishment, it was a bit of a false promise because, and we have a ton of evidence that shows that victims are not helped um, more by increasing the amount of punishment. There's no correlation between how much severity of punishment there is and how the victim does. And so instead of focusing on uh, the traumatic experience and how do we not only lift up the person who was harmed, but lift up this whole community of people who are um, harmed because of this harm, uh, how do we state our values really clearly, um, think about lifting up our black students in this case um, and making sure that we are celebrating black life and black achievements as well as you know condemning racism because I think sometimes that we forget to sort of look at black achievement and black joy in the uh, in our focus on all the long and you know various list of harms that have been done to black people also that we begin to think about you know, counseling, opportunities, all the different things that victims need, uh, which are also like, they need transparency, they need to feel like they have some power over their fate and what's going to happen. They need time to process. Um, all of these things are, get lost because the school is feeling often shame that this happened in their community. And they want to show that they're the good people. They're not racist. And uh, try and get this taken care of really quickly. uh, Show that they've made you know an effort to wipe this out. But what gets lost, in addition to the victims, is that no incident is just itself, right? Like the kids who have caused the harm are the canaries in the coal mine. This happened because there were things in the community that weren't being addressed, and this kind of humor was socially acceptable, not to the extreme that these kids took it, but there was lots of uh, joking air quotes around it about race. There's a lot of surveys at the school and elsewhere where kids talk about uh, how frequently they um, hear jokes and phrases and remarks that are hurtful to them around race. For the average black teenager, it's about five times a day. And so by focusing on like, I'm just going to punish these guys and then the problem is solved, you're kind of missing the larger story. Yeah, I think the main thing that um, I would like everyone to walk away with, adults and kids and teachers and parents, is that it helps to have some phrases in your back pocket for interrupting something that you don't like, uh, that makes you feel uncomfortable. And kids often think, I'm going to I don't want to be that guy and I can't make a big speech and you know it's they the other guys are going to turn on me if I'm the one um, and they really underestimate how much power they do have because chances are good that they're not the only one uncomfortable and so if a kid has a phrase like mm, not cool or dude that's messed up or I don't agree with that, you know, whatever it is, it can be so short. But you have it at the ready, then as soon as one person says something, then other people have permission to say something. And this is true for adults as well. Those corrections really make a difference.
1: Thank you so much for joining us, Dashka. Again, the book is Accountable, the true story of a racist social media account and the teenagers whose lives it changed. It's such a great read. And that's our show. Please subscribe, leave a rating and review, and of course, tell your friends. This episode of Mom and Dad are Fighting is produced by Rosemary Belson and Mara Curry. Shasha Leonard is the voice of our listeners. Alicia Montgomery is VP of Slate Audio. For Zach Rosen and Elizabeth Newcamp, I'm Jamila Lemieux. Thanks for listening.